Please go ahead and turn in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. to If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 1015. We are continuing our study through the Apostle Peter's letter to followers of Jesus flung across what we know to be uh, modern Turkey. In this letter, Peter instructs believers on how to live for Jesus' glory. Uh, most recently, he has been, Peter has been addressing how we embrace our exile in connection with various institutions and relationships, how we live as uh, strangers and sojourners in this world. And with respect to these various institutions and relationships, how we, how we relate, how we uh, live out our faith in Christ. Last week, we considered believers and their relationship to the, the wider society, including government, now, we also consider what Peter said to household slaves uh, and how they respond to their masters. In, in brief, Peter has been saying this, apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to your relationships, how you relate to these human institutions, to the emperor and to your employer. And now, Peter says, apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to your marriage. Read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. This is the word of God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Clearly, Peter is addressing Christian husbands and wives. Now, believers who are not married may still learn several things from this text, but principally and primarily, Peter is addressing believing men and women who are married. Now, I wonder if you noticed something I said before I read the passage. I uttered these six crucial words before reading the text. This is the word of God. While this letter was physically written by the Apostle Peter, it was and is at the same time divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. As such, though physically written in a necessarily transient context, this text was divinely inspired by a timeless and transcendent God. And what Peter said to his readers in the first century applies to us today, because this is 
the timeless and transcendent Word of God. When approaching the Scriptures, and especially a text like this, we must be careful not to ask the question that the serpent in the garden asked. Did God really say that? And we must be careful not to make the assertions that the serpent made. He didn't really mean that. You will not surely die. Here are the two main commands that God gives to believing husbands and wives in our text. Wives, be subject or submissive to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. God really did say that. And he really does mean for us to obey that. Not only that, but because our God is good, this is a good word for us. We will be blessed by hearing it, and we will be doubly blessed by heeding it. Which means we need to hear and apply this text first and foremost for ourselves. We're going to unpack 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 in two sections under two headings. First, God's wisdom for wives. And then second, God's guidelines for grooms. God's wisdom for wives. God's guidelines for grooms. Let's unpack 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And here we encounter God's wisdom for wives. This section you see right there begins with the word likewise. And with that word, Peter, he means to connect this teaching to Christian wives to the preceding section. In, in what way are these instructions to wives similar to God's instructions to household slaves? Just as household slaves were to live like the Lord Jesus, to do good and not sin, so Christian wives are to live like the Lord Jesus, to do good and not sin. Just as there was an authority structure in the relationship between household slaves and their masters, so there is an authority structure in marriage. This authority structure in marriage is not a passing fancy of the Roman Empire, but a purpose of the eternal God. In marriage, husbands are the heads of their wives. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. What is more, in that passage, the Apostle Paul lets us in on a secret of redemptive history. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, saying this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul gives us this golden nugget in the very next verse in Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That first marriage in the garden was but a type and shadow of the true marriage between Christ and the church. It is not so much that Christ and the church fulfill the pattern established in the garden, but that the marriage in the garden was patterned after the marriage to which all marriages point, Christ and the church. Read Peter with care here. Peter is not saying that all women are subject to all men. He is not saying that all married women are subject to all married 
men. Rather, he is saying that inside each particular married relationship, a wife is to be submissive to her particular husband. That Christian wives should be subjects to their own husband is Peter's main concern and main command. It's evidenced by the fact that the idea to be subject or to be submissive is found twice in these verses, in verses 1 and 5. The command be subject there in verse 1 and the words by submitting in verse 5 are the exact same word in the Greek. But what does it mean to be subject? The word is a hypotasmini and it means to submit to the orders and directives or directives of someone else. So here's the sense of what Peter's saying. With reverence for God and her husband's authority, a Christian wife is to be willing to fulfill the wishes and carry out the directives of her own husband. Now let me unpack that definition. With reverence for God. The reason that Christian wives obey this command first and foremost is because they revere and fear God. Every Christian wife is subject to God before she is subject to her husband. God, the Lord Jesus, is her chief and ultimate authority. With reverence for God and her husband's authority. Emerging from her reverence for God, the Christian wife reveres her husband's authority. She reveres her husband's authority because it exists and is established by God. Our God has arranged the married relationship in this way. For the purposes of pointing us to our salvation, the relationship between Christ and the church. And and we need to back up here and acknowledge an important principle of Christian anthropology. A principle which Peter and the rest of the scriptures assume. Here is the most basic principle of Christian anthropology. Men and women are both made in the image of God. And therefore equal in dignity, value, and worth in God's sight. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we learn that God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. God assigns men and women different roles in different institutions, like the church and in marriage. And this, this assignment of different roles in different institutions, this assignment does not negate or denigrate our equality in the sight of God. The differing roles and responsibilities in marriage also have nothing to do with capability. To think that differing roles or even functions recalibrates our worth in the sight of God is to give into a pagan way, or we could say the world's way of thinking. The world constantly says, you're only worth what you can do. But God's word says, what you, what you do, or, or, or even what you can do, does not determine your worth and value in God's sight. Men and women have been made in God's image, and that fundamental fact, they're having been made in God's image, establishes our equality and secures our worth and dignity and value. 
we need to understand something else too. Simply because in marriage, simply because one party in marriage is called to submit to another, does not mean that the submissive person is of lesser value, worth, or dignity. It doesn't mean uh, that women and wives are incapable of like leadership either. Uh, we need think only of Jesus. Let us remember that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, same in essence, equal in power and glory, as the old catechism says. Though the Son was co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, in the days of His flesh, He submitted to the will of God the Father. So in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said, I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus desired to do God's will, to submit to the orders and the directives of His Father. This did not make Jesus inferior to the Father, or worthy of less glory, or worship, or honor. Our Lord Jesus shows us that there can be a differentiation of roles and responsibilities in relationships without a degradation of worth. With reverence for God and her husband's authority, a Christian wife is to be willing to fulfill the wishes and carry out the directives of her own husband. What Peter is calling for here is not merely a series of acts of submission, as though they were disconnected from a person or a relationship. While there may be tangible and identifiable acts of submission, so to speak, for a Christian wife, there is more a spirit of submission, a, a willingness that will be evident. There will be a belief which will be evidenced in behavior, a, a willingness to show itself and will show itself in deference and obedience. And, and we need to recognize something obvious here, or at least it should be obvious. Christian wives cannot, must not, submit to sin. Uh, Christian household slaves could not submit to sin or commit sin. Peter has just told household slaves that they were to do good. He's told Christian wives that they are to do good. Those slaves could, could not sin. They were not to sin. Why? Well, because Jesus did not sin. And we imitate Jesus. And so too wives must not sin. They too must imitate the Lord Jesus. This command to submit, in that sense, is not absolute. Any command given by a husband which calls his wife to sin is a wicked command. And therefore ought to be disobeyed. A wife must not submit to her husband if doing so would lead to the harm of others, especially her children. A wife must not submit to her husband if doing so would make her a partner in sin. In other words, if by her submission she would enable and empower her husband to sin, then she must disobey. A Christian wife must not submit to any kind of abuse or oppression, for that would be to enable and partner in sin. Abusive and oppressive behavior can be seen in a, a pattern of coercive control, a kind of stepping on your spouse or others for selfish gain and, and gratification. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God hates such oppression. He will judge these wrongs. And there is never any excuse, 
explanation or justification for such oppressive and sinful behavior. It is wicked in God's sight. And dear wives, you must not submit to oppression and abuse. And you must seek help from others in authority who can help you. Whether that be from law enforcement, from counselors, or from your elders. Please come out, come and seek out your elders if you find yourself facing oppression. We do want to help and serve you. Now, with those sad but necessary qualifications to submission in place, we do need to grapple with a positive command that Peter is giving here. We need to grapple with why he is giving this command to be subject, what it looks like, and where Christian wives might begin to cultivate this virtue. Why does Peter command Christian wives to be subject to their husbands? Do you see it there toward the end of verse 1? Peter tells us why, Christian, why he wants Christian wives to possess a submissive spirit toward their husbands. It's because that he has the hope that their husbands will be one to obedience to Jesus. And we can think of this in two ways. To win their unbelieving husbands. That's one way. It may be that Peter wants Christian women to win their unbelieving husbands to the word of Christ. It may be that by their submissive spirit and godly conduct, by living how Jesus lived, by submitting himself unto God the Father for us and for our salvation, that these husbands would see that what their wives believed in their hearts was true and so trust in Jesus. Another thing Peter may be thinking about here is to, for Christian wives to win their believing husbands to more faithful obedience. It may also be that these wives have husbands who have been converted. Some of these husbands may have obeyed the word in the sense that they have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus. And yet, as we all know, even if husbands have obeyed the word through repentance and faith, it is still true that sometimes husbands remain disobedient to the word. Sometimes believing husbands sin and disobey the word of God. And in this circumstance, God may use the submissive spirit and godly conduct of the Christian wives to awaken a man to his disobedience and to bring him into closer conformity to God's word. A Christian wife may win her husband, her believing husband, to more faithful obedience. Or she may win her unbelieving husband to obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but how? You see, Peter tells us how a Christian wife may, by God's grace, win her husband to obedience by her conduct. We find that there at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2. Now, Peter does not say that Christian wives may not speak. What he says is that your Christ-like submission may speak louder than your words. Regardless, for both men and women and children, our standard of speech is the same. So it is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So when you speak, Christian, let it be pure. Make sure it helps. Make sure it is the right time. And make sure it is generous and gracious. 
You can be sure that no Christian wife can harangue her husband into heaven or into greater holiness. So sisters, let your words be few and let them be full of the fear of the Lord. Remember Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Your words can break a man's spirit. So remember Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Your words, sisters, they can also heal. So remember Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And these proverbs and their principles are as true for every Christian as they are for every Christian wife. Now, at the, at the end of verse 1, Peter mentions the conduct of wives, by which Peter means your way of life. That's what that idea, the conduct of wives, means. It means a, a broader way of life. Peter's not merely speaking of occasional deportment, but ongoing disposition. Uh, the wise way of life for a Christian wife will be respectful and pure. And those two words at the end of verse 2, respectful and pure, communicate reverence, respectful, pure, and holiness. Uh, that, that's the whole, it's to be the whole tenor of the life of a Christian wife, and really the whole tenor of the life of every Christian. Peter is saying, sisters, show your husbands the character of Christ. He was reverent. And he was holy. By your conduct, win him to saving obedience in Jesus Christ, or win him to greater sanctified obedience to Jesus. Peter knows that Christian wives are often desperate to see their husbands obey the word. Peter has told them how they might go about that. But if we're honest, sometimes God's ways seem old-fashioned, out of date, and even sometimes overwhelming. In fact, the kind of submissive spirit, careful comments, reverential respect, and pursuit of purity that Peter calls for take diligent and daily cultivation. It, it, it takes time to put these godly qualities on a woman. And comparatively, it takes virtually no time at all to put up your hair, to put a pearl in your earlobe, or to put on a dress. And Peter is, is not saying that Christian wives cannot have nice hair, or, or put on pearls, or, or wear nice clothes. Peter is not saying that you must be grumpy and frumpy. No, Peter is saying, sisters, don't try to win your husbands to obedience by the ways of the world. Try to win your husbands through Christ's likeness. Don't focus on the adorning of the outside. Focus on the adorning of the inside. And what are they to adorn their hearts with, according to verse 4? You see it there? With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Do you see the... Um, the multi-layered contrasts that Peter makes here. Not only is Peter contrasting the outside and the inside, but he's also contrasting what is fading with what is forever, between what is perishable and what is imperishable, what is transient, what's timeless. Your hair is going to gray and thin, and maybe some of it will fall out. Your gold will tarnish. Your clothing will go out of style. You cannot keep up with the ways of the world. 
And those who are truly wise know what is truly beautiful, a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, earlier I said that the character qualities that Peter calls a Christian wife to was essentially Christ-like character. It's true. More than being essentially feminine qualities, this gentle and quiet spirit are essentially the qualities of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, or 28 and 29? Listen to Jesus' words about himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. These are Christ-like qualities that should be entirely unsurprising for us. That these are Christ-like qualities should be entirely unsurprising for the goal is that husbands be one to the obedience to Jesus. So they need to see Jesus. Sisters, you are to adorn your lives with Christ-like gentleness. You're not to be unsettled by trouble because your trust is in God. That's what that word gentle is getting at. A, A stability that's founded on a trust in God's sovereignty. You are to possess a a quiet spirit. That's a soul at rest in God's providential care. That's how you have a, a quiet spirit. You entrust yourself as Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. But notice what Peter says about this character at the end of verse four. He says that this character... This Christ-like character is not just precious, but very precious in God's sight. Remember that Peter has said that our faith is more precious than gold. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Sisters, your gentle and quiet spirit is very precious to God. It carries weight with Him. He treasures your Christ-like character. He prizes your trust. You don't fundamentally live this way for your husbands, but for the glory of Jesus. Then, in verses 5 and 6, Peter essentially says, Look, sisters, in pursuing this path, you are standing in a long line of holy women. When you fear the Lord, when you live in Christ-like submission to your husband, when you show reverent respect to your husband, when you aim at pure conduct, when you adorn your heart with gentleness and go to God for peace, then you are living like the holy women of old, women who hoped in God. Peter, he alludes to a comment from Sarah in Genesis 18. Sarah was a faith-filled woman of God. She was not perfect. Right? Sometimes in her submission to her husband Abraham, I think she submitted to sin. She agreed to deception when Abraham handed her over to another man. This shows us, too, that Abraham was not a very good husband. But even though Abraham was not a very good husband, Sarah still submitted to him. Peter even tells us that she called Abraham Lord. She was willing to submit to a man who was not a very good husband often. When Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s, 
God told Abraham uh, that about this time next year, Sarah would have a son. Sarah was alone. She was listening to this conversation from the tent. And on her own, she laughed to herself and said, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, when we're alone, when we're by ourselves, we're most honest, aren't we? Sarah was honest that she was uncertain of this promise from God. And yet, Peter says, she honored Abraham in private by calling him her Lord. And what Peter is saying is that the whole tenor of her life was lived with reverence for God and her husband's authority. So that it came out even when she was all alone. Christian wives, even when they are alone, are to honor their husbands. Sisters, Sarah is a model for you. One, one pastor said, Sarah is your cover girl. She, she is your model. She lived with reverence for God. Honor your husband, sisters, in private and in public. Sarah lived with reverence for God. She hoped in God. You see, you don't ultimately live to please your husband. Ultimately, you live to please God. Even when faced with frightening circumstances. You fear God above those circumstances. You entrust yourself to Him knowing that He is sovereign and supreme. Christian wives submit because Jesus submitted. Christian wives are careful with their words because Jesus was careful with His words. Christian wives remain reverent, respectful, and pure because Jesus remained so. Christian wives cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit in imitation of Jesus who was gentle and lowly of heart. Christian wives hope in God. They fear God. They trust their Heavenly Father because that is precisely what Jesus did. So here is God's wisdom for Christian wives. Boiled down to three words. Live like Jesus. That's God's wisdom for you. And earlier I mentioned that this text is applicable for those who are not married. So let me just speak a few words to widows, to single women, and to young women in our congregation for a moment. Dear sisters and friends, this, this passage is applicable to you in many ways. In every way that we see the character of the Lord Jesus Christ shine through, you should pursue that character. You are uh, not doing so now in relation to a man in marriage, but nevertheless, you may and, and must, right, cultivate hope in God. You can practice, you should practice judiciousness with your words. You may learn to speak and treat uh, with respect those whom God has placed in authority over you, whether they be bosses or, or parents. You must learn to fear God above all men and live to please God above all men. And you should purpose in your heart that should you ever get married, you would love God more than you love that man. You will love him best if you love Jesus most. One more special counsel is in order. Because sadly I have seen this too many times. Sister, if a man is not a believer, do not marry him. Do not even date him. If he is not a baptized member of a local church where he can be held accountable, do not even date him. 
Believers are to marry only in the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Still, to say that to say that to only marry a believer is not to say enough. I would go further. If a man is a believer, but you cannot obey Peter's counsels here, then you should not marry him. It may be that you are not ready. It may be that he is not ready. Whatever the case may be, do not enter into marriage lightly. Single sisters and and young women, if you are not ready to keep the Lord's commands to be subject to the man you're dating, then don't marry him. Only marry in the Lord and only marry a man that you can love, cherish, and obey. To live in these ways is to live as strangers and exiles in this world. Right? How often is Christ-like submission, reverent respect for your husband, pure conduct, concern for the adornment of gentleness and peace, how often are these things commended to wives and women in our world? Rarely, if ever. But sisters, Christian wives, this is God's wisdom for you. Live like Jesus. Live this way and you will show the world true beauty. You'll show the world the beauty of Christ. And now we need to turn to God's guidelines for grooms. We're now turning to our second point, God's guidelines for grooms. At one level, uh, you may be miffed that Peter devotes six verses of wisdom for wives and only one verse to God's guidelines for grooms. Uh, Perhaps you think that's just like a man. But, um, but might, might I encourage you to look at the text from a slightly different angle? Peter gave six verses to wives and seven verses to husbands. You see, though there is only one verse explicitly devoted to husbands, implicitly, Peter has been speaking to husbands throughout the first six verses. In verse 1, Peter informs husbands that their wives must be subject to them, which means that they have authority and that they must use it like Jesus. And do you remember how Jesus exercised his authority for his bride? He died. He served and he suffered and he sacrificed. That is what the Christian exercise of authority looks like. That is the nature of Jesus' leadership of his church. And it is why we willingly and joyfully submit to him and follow him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So husbands, make sure the yoke on your wives is easy. Whatever burden you place on your wife, make sure it is light. Because God has placed husbands in an authoritative position in the marriage relationship, husbands must lead. Passivity, selfish sloth, and abdication are all ungodly, and they are all unloving. We're not out of verse 1 yet. Christian wives are to be willing to fulfill the wishes and carry out the directives of their husbands. So husbands, be sure that your commands are congruent with the word of God. And be sure that they are given in the character, the spirit, the gentleness, and the graciousness 
of the God of the Word. Remember that you are not God. So don't act like it when you ask your wife to do something. You are not infallible or inerrant. So consider that you could be wrong. And if this woman who loves Jesus and is full of the Spirit is objecting to some course of action, then you ought to stop. You ought to give her words great weight and be exceedingly cautious about moving forward against her counsel. As my church history professor once said, conversations ought to outweigh commands. Before you tell your wife what to do, you ought to talk with her about it. And your wife ought to have the freedom. She ought to have the unfettered freedom of registering concerns and disagreements without your displeasure. And if you lead in such a way that silences her voice, then you are leading foolishly, if not sinfully. Your wife is a gift to you. And in God's kindness to you, she will keep you from doing utterly foolish things. She will even stop you from sinning. And in all sincerity, for that you ought to praise the Lord. You should fear to sin. Peter informs husbands that they ought not be disobedient to the word. You see that in verse 1. Brothers, if your dear wife shows you by godly example or by explicit command or by biblical principle in Scripture that you are in disobedience, you ought to be one to repentance. Do not let your confession of disobedience be filled with qualification or justification. Do not shift blame. Your sin is your sin. You must own it. Your disobedience is your disobedience. Own your wrong, confess it to God and to your wife, and seek the mercy of Christ. In verse 2, Peter tells husbands that we ought to see the respectful and pure conduct of our wives. So brothers, are we looking for God's evidence of grace in the lives of our wives? Do we see and understand that when they say yes to us, it is a response full of reverential respect and we often don't deserve it? Do we see how they daily fight the fight of faith? How they push through fears and find hope in God? How when they get out of bed in the morning, that the very first thing that they are often doing is serving someone else? Do we see how they pray for us, for our children if we have them? for lost family members, for friends and co-workers and for our church? Do we see how they spend themselves not only to serve us, but so many others? Do we see how at the end of the day they often fall into bed worn out through faith-filled service? Do we see how in heart and head and body they have remained faithful to us? Do you see and praise the respectful and pure conduct of your wife? Do you see and praise the respectful and pure conduct of your wife? Husbands, do you see how your wife is diligently adorning herself with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit? I have a sneaking suspicion that the Bible reading and study of the wives of this congregation outpaces the Bible reading and study of the husbands. Brothers, our wives are obeying Peter's exhortations here. 
They are diligently adorning themselves with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, and we are blessed because of it. Learn from your wife what is truly important, and let the true beauty which she so diligently adorns herself with, her life with, let that captivate you and counsel your soul. Draw near to her. Ask her what she's learning from her reading and study of God's word. Draw near and learn from your fellow saint and sojourner. She has much to teach you by God's grace. And she has much to teach you about God's grace. From verses 3 and 4, we learn that far too often husbands are absorbed by what is passing. Rather than what is permanent and precious in God's sight. You see, this is imperishable beauty. A gentle and a quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit is what is precious in God's sight. And therefore what? It ought to be precious in our sight too. It ought to carry weight with us. So stop wasting your time looking at what is passing and start looking at what is precious to God and ought to be precious to you. I have about seven more things I want to say before verse 7, but I'm going to condense them down to one. Look at verse 6 and the phrase, do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter knows the honest truth. It can be frightening to submit to a sinner. Sarah had to submit to a husband who occasionally disobeyed. Abraham was, yes, a model of faith, but often he was not our model for a godly husband. It can be frightening to submit to someone who is disobedient. Brothers, your wives should never be afraid of you. And you should never jeopardize their safety, placing them in a position of fearing something that is frightening. Brothers, if your wife is ever afraid of you, then your heart ought to break. You you ought to weep that you have so wounded and endangered the woman that God gave to you to love and to lead with all tenderness and gentleness and kindness of Christ. If you have ever caused your wife to fear, then you ought to repent for having failed to lead your wife with the tenderness, gentleness, and kindness of Christ. Husbands, You ought to ask your wives this question. This is a homework assignment. You ought to ask your wives this question. Honey, have I ever made you afraid? Have you ever been afraid of me or what I would do? And brother, if your wife answers yes, then you need to recognize that there has arisen within your heart a deeply concerning level of pride of which you need to repent And seek the forgiveness and mercy of Christ and the forgiveness of your wife. May God help us grow in humility and in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads us to verse 7. Where the first guideline in this verse is for a groom to live with knowledge. Read 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Likewise... Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That phrase, in an understanding way, uh, is more literally translated according to knowledge. And that's a better translation too. Husbands ought to live according to the knowledge that their wives are made in God's image. In the sight of God, women are not beneath men. They are beside men. And men are beside women. And that men and women are beside one another in God's sight is true in marriage. Husbands need to live according to the knowledge that he is living with a woman. He's not living with another man. A wife will have particular needs and cares as a woman because men and women really are different. Men and women are not interchangeable. And this is seen with remarkable clarity when living in close quarters. Husbands ought to live according to the knowledge that their wives have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he has loved them So we ought to love them too. And to love them like he has. Husbands ought to live according to the knowledge that their wives are going to glory. And therefore, it is our calling to help our wives get there. Husbands ought to live according to the knowledge that together, it is their high and holy calling to picture the loving relationship between Christ and the church. Here's what Peter is saying. Husbands, You need to be considerate. You need to be considerate. Husbands are not permitted simply to live with their wives. Rather, we must live with our wives in an understanding way. We must give ourselves to the diligent study and care of our wives. You need to know your wife, her joys, her anxieties, her disappointments, and her hopes. Uh, You need to know your wife in these ways and more so that you can love her Comfort her, reassure her, strengthen her, support her, cherish her, help her walk in faithfulness to Christ. Put differently, you need to consider her better and more important than yourself. What Paul said to the church in Philippi, I think Peter would say to husbands, do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing, not a single thing, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3. That's how the Lord Jesus lived. Living with your wife in an understanding way means showing honor to her. Did you see that Peter says that there? Peter has recently commanded Christians to honor the emperor. And here we are told that Christian husbands are to honor their wives. Husbands, your wife should be treated like royalty. An empress, so to speak. You ought to treat your wife as one who is precious in God's sight. Those things which are precious are treated with tenderness. Husbands, have you persuaded your wife that she is precious to you? Have you shown her the honor she deserves? Have you shown her that that honor publicly in in front of others, including your children and your co-workers? And have you shown your wife the honor she deserves privately in your heart? Still, husbands show wives honor as the weaker vessel. Do you see that in the text? And here, Peter seems to be addressing what we all uh, know to be true. Generally speaking, uh, men are physically stronger than women. That's not to say that all men are always stronger than all women. 
I personally know from one rather humbling and comical experience at the gym that some women are definitely stronger than men. I followed a woman uh, using a weight machine and let's just say she was much stronger than I was. <laughs> she was also much older than I was. Uh, yes, it is true. Generally speaking, uh, men are stronger than women. Note carefully that Peter does not say that women are weak, but that women are weaker. Generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. And husbands, we ought not take advantage of our greater strength, if we have it. Rather, we use our greater strength to honor the weaker vessel. One brother illustrated this phrase, hopefully I think, this phrase weaker vessel by saying you carry a vase differently than you carry a bucket. And that's exactly right. We honor our wives. We treat them like royalty. And we persuade them that they are precious to us. And if I can usher in a word of application to young men in our congregation here. Young men, purpose today to lift up, to highly esteem women. Show honor to your mother and begin to practice today. What God might call you to one day. Show honor to your sister Show honor to the young women around you at school and elsewhere. Esteem all women. Regard them as God regards them, as those made in His image who are precious and worthy of honor. You can do that practically by showing reverence with your words. Do not yell or raise your voice toward your mother or any other woman. Do not make any intimidating gestures or postures. Be careful with your countenance, your facial expressions. Guard them from anger. Be kind and tender-hearted. Show consideration. Place their needs and desires. Place the needs and the desires of women around you above your own. Remember that men are not better than women. Rather, in God's sight, men are beside women. And women are beside men. Why? That's a question that we should be asking of this text, this verse, verse 7. Why does Peter instruct husbands to live with understanding and show honor to their wives? You see there, he gives two reasons. First, we love our wives like this because they are co-heirs of the grace of life. They will inherit the same heavenly glory that we will inherit. Now this, this idea would have been baffling to the pagans of the Greco-Roman world. You see, they believed that women were often worth less than even household slaves. But Peter says, no, no, no. She is royalty. She is an empress to be honored. Christian wives have an inheritance that is coming to them, an inheritance that is exactly like yours. There's a second reason why husbands are to honor their wives. And you can find it there at the end of verse 7. Husbands honor their wives so that their prayers may not be hindered. In fact, uh, that translation is too weak. What Peter literally says is this, so that your prayers may not be cut off. In other words, God will refuse to listen to your prayers. If you do not live with your wives in an understanding way, if you do not show her the requisite honor, God will cut off your prayers. And that phrase ought to chasten every man. Moreover, it ought to show us that the, 
the authority that we as husbands submit to. Remember beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 and stretching to chapter 3 uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 that Peter is addressing relationships where there's an authority and a subject. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the authority was the emperor, the subject was the Christian. Verses 18 to 25, the authority was the master, the subject was the household slave. In 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, the authority was the husband, the subject was the Christian wife. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the authority is God, and the subject is the husband. And what God says to you is this. If you mistreat my daughter, I will cut off your prayers. Brothers, are your prayers frustrated? Do you feel as though God does not hear you? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, maybe he doesn't. Maybe you've been mistreating his daughter. Maybe it is not just that your quiet times have been dry and dull and you just need to keep pressing through the doldrums. Maybe it's that you've been sinning against your wife and you need to repent. Brothers, we have an authority over us and God will hold us accountable. He may cut off our prayers so that we might be led to repentance. But it may also be the case that God has cut off our prayers as a sign of coming judgment. In other words, this little phrase, so that your prayers may not be hindered, may be a threat of eternal judgment. Peter is saying, if you're not living with understanding and showing honor to your wife, then it may be that you're not a Christian. God may not hear your prayers because you may not be in Christ. If you skip down just a few verses to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God will not listen to just anyone. Only believers who trust in His Son have the promise that He hears them, as one children's song aptly said. Husbands, a war with God is not one we can win. We must be subject to our Father in heaven. We must heed His command to live with our wives in an understanding way and show them honor since they are heirs with us the grace of life. And isn't that what Jesus has done with His church? He got beneath His church and lifted up His church and honored His church, promising to bestow her with a crown of glory and honor. Here's the most important question that each one of us need to face today. Are we an heir of the grace of life? Will we inherit this heavenly glory that Peter speaks about here? Only those who confess that they have sinned against the holy God. Only those who repent, taking God's side against their sin. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ, that He lived the perfect life, the life that we've not lived. Only those who trust that Jesus died, our sin-bearing substitute, taking the punishment for our sin. And only those who believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on the third day for the forgiveness of sins can be certain that we will inherit heavenly glory. So friend, turn from your sin and trust in Jesus for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sin. Peter's words, they expose us all. Peter's words expose each one of us. Even though we're not all married, 
We know that we've failed to emulate the Christ-likeness that Peter commands and commends here. Too often we haven't been gentle, peaceable, and quiet, trusting the Lord. Too often we haven't honored others. In the face of our failures as boys and girls, as men and women, as husbands and wives, we run to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy. We are not perfect, but praise God, He is. He is the perfect husband who has loved a very imperfect bride, the church. And He is committed to patiently walking with us and washing us in His cleansing blood. And though we have failed to live lives in submission to Him, He ever lives with us in an understanding way. He knows our weakness and He meets it with His strength. He even honors us and promises us that in spite of our faults and failings, that we will reign with Him. He has even prayed for us. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be with Him, that we'd know His glory and His joy. And one day soon, that prayer will be answered. For the prayers of our Savior will never be hindered. O church, rejoice. Because one day soon, the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. Will become true. As Revelation 19 makes plain. Our groom, he will descend from heaven and we will feast with him. And in fact, in just a moment, we'll have a dress rehearsal for that wedding supper, that marriage supper. But before we do, we should, we should pray and rejoice in Christ our Savior. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together.